Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr., and today we're welcoming Reverend Dr. Jose Martinez to the show. Jose serves as the Minister for New Church Strategies for the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Jose also created a ministry as an incubate participant with the National Benevolent Association called Story Wagon. Additionally, he is co-planter of Multi-Nation Christian Church, which is the largest and only Haitian ministry in the Midwest for the Disciples of Christ, along with planting Michio KC Church. Co-vocationally, he's an endorsed Protestant chaplain at the 139th Airlift Wing in St. Joseph, Missouri, and a chaplain with Truman Medical Center in Kansas City, Missouri. He has served in different capacities in ministry from the regional level to local congregations by bringing innovative and entrepreneurial ideas about the shifting paradigm of church. His mixture of talent, tenacity, and experience has helped him in all ministry contexts, which was recognized by the Air National Guard in 2016 by awarding him the Samuel Stone Award. All right, welcome to the show, Reverend Dr. Jose Martinez. Thanks so much for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me on again. It's a real joy to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. So anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? Yeah, um, in particular that, you know, not only am I the new church, uh, Minister of New Church Strategies, but, you know, that chaplaincy part uh, plays a big part into my um, kind of like approach to ministry when it comes to starting mm-hmm. new congregations and things of that nature. And on top of all that, I'm a father, uh, I'm a husband, you know, doing all these things, uh, you know, uh, all at once. Yeah. So Jose has been on the podcast before a while back, but since it's been a while, uh, if you don't mind, share a bit about your faith journey, what that looked like in the past and what that looks like today. Yeah. So if you all can tell, I'm Latino. So um, in the very beginnings of my faith journey, I was a Catholic, uh, baptized in the Catholic Church uh, when I was a baby. And um, my family was basically um, culturally Catholic. So we really didn't attend Mass very often, but we would go on the, you know, Christmas and Easter sort of thing. And then um, being uh, raised in a single parent home, my mom met my stepdad, who happened to be a Southern Baptist uh, person from Southern Missouri. Uh, and we uh, all as a family went to the Southern Baptist churches. And uh, and that was probably when I was about 10 years old sort of thing. And as I was a teenager, I was sort of like rebelling <laughs> mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what my faith journey was going to look like and ended up in the uh, independent Christian churches because well, the girl that I was dating at the time, who is now my wife, uh, <laughs> was part of an independent Christian church called Parkview Christian Church. And we participated in, uh, you know, a lot of uh, ministry in college. We were part of the Campus Christian House uh, in Central Missouri and in, in Warrensburg, Missouri. And we started getting into uh, church planting after uh, we graduated from college and um, it sort of went, went on from there. I went to war uh, during that time. I was uh, in the army uh, and went to um, 
uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, it was based out of Ali Salim, Kuwait. We flew C-12s mm-hmm. flying back and forth into Iraq and transporting people. And, um, you know, it was during that time where I had like this weird call to ministry. And uh, basically, uh, I would fly in the back of the airplane. We fly C-12s in and out of Iraq and fly people to uh, to Ali Aslim, and then we would fly down to Al Udid, which is in Qatar. And um, and I had this one Marine just say, "Hey, man, you're easy to talk to. You ever think about being mm. a chaplain?" Hmm. And you know, <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. "Well, uh, no," because <laughs> I was really happy in my life. I was. Yeah, uh, full time army making a paycheck and serving my country, and uh, I had no intention of becoming a minister of any sort. Um, but you know, I had like this weird experience through uh, the voice of God. You know, some people might say it's psychosis, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> but uh, you know, I just had like this uh, weird dream and got, talking to God, and I after that I woke up and um, went to the chaplain's office, and basically it was you know, telling the chaplain about this experience. And he goes, well, you need to kind of like hammer that out and figure if that is truly your call to ministry. And so while I was there, um, you know, doing all this stuff with the army, um, I applied to different seminaries um, way past the admission date and had one seminary reply back and say, hey, yeah, we'll we'll take you. And so uh, came back from a, a basically almost a year of deployment uh, in the desert. and. Um, Started seminary, and during seminary, had my uh, faith identity crisis because I was mm-hmm. learning a lot of stuff at this seminary right. that I wasn't taught uh, in right. my conservative Christian upbringing, <laughs> and um, just uh, had to really come to a sense of like, what is my faith? Uh, how do I truly believe? What I really think about Scripture, and who is Jesus to me? You know, mm-hmm. sort of thing. And um, you know, I was staunch you know, Jesus is my savior, you know, no way, but through Jesus, you know, that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing a lot of that theological, uh, bumper sticker theology, not really working into some of the hard areas that I was getting into in the urban ministry, um, you know, wasn't really working. <laughs> and so I had a, um, kind of like, a uh, a, a uh, couch moment with the endorsers of the independent Christian churches, churches of Christ saying, Hey, they're like, uh, we're not going to, uh, endorse you for the, the chaplaincy because you know, you're not really lining up with our doctrine. Wow. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so, um, I was pastoring at this church called first Christian church in downtown Kansas city, um, which is a Disciples of Christ Church. And at that time, I talked to the regional minister. His name was Paul Deal. And basically, mm-hmm. he I told him what was going on. He says, you know what? You sound like a disciple. Interesting. <laughs> so that's how I got into the disciples. And, um, you know, I was wor- working into like um, ministry that have had a lot of um, turnaround churches, uh, revitalization work and things of that nature. And I was bringing in all my church planting experience that I've had. And uh, it just really started from there and got involved with the regional ministry. And I started a congregation called Missio KC here in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, um, get a, got into the new church ministry work here on a regional level, and then eventually got up to the general level as the associate minister. And then now finally, I'm here as the Minister of New Church Strategy. So that's a very short uh, cliff note <laughs> of my faith journey on that. 
Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, I didn't realize it was so such a diverse background there. Yeah, yeah. What is the what's the spiritual practice that's been sustaining of you or sustaining you of late? So, um, you know, with all this uh, electronic stuff, I've been really trying to get back to tactile things. So, um, <clears throat> I've been studying on how to do Spencerian script. I have a fountain pen and I got a journal. And I practice my Spencerian script while journaling, um, particularly in reading through the lectionary, daily lectionary readings, and sort of uh, journaling my thoughts on the daily scripture. Hmm. What is what is Spencerian script then? I've never heard that. Spencerian? Yeah. Spencerian script is like um, old school cursive. Oh. And it's American. It's American because um, I forget the guy's name. His is like I think it was Henry Spencer was the dude's name. He was like back in the day during the colonial times, like when Dewey and and Horseman, all those folks that were like um, creating like uh, American educational uh, systems. Uh, he created this this uh, handwriting system called Spencerian after wow. his last name Spencer. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's a it's a it's kind of like a calligraphy, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, I think it's a lost art that we have in the United States uh, since uh, we don't learn it in school right, anymore. Right. Uh, my son, I tried to uh, write some cursive stuff uh, and have him read it. And he was like, I can't read that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the weird thing is he's a, he's a graffiti artist. So mm-hmm. he does like spray paints and mm-hmm. he does all these letterings. And I'm like, what's the difference? Right. So, <laughs> Just a different art form. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. So as as uh, Jose mentioned, he is the Minister for New Church Strategies with the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Um, shout out to the home team here. We're playing for the home team today. Both Jose and I are fortunate to be ordained in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. So um, I want to ask, um, you've just recently kind of presented what's called Disciples Next, and it's a new kind of church planning strategy. And I just kind of wanted to to talk through the, that and what that's about. So let's maybe start with like, where, where did it come from? What's the impetus? That sort of thing. Yeah. So um, uh, if any of your listeners know that, you know, within the Disciples of Christ in the early 2000s, about 2001, we had this thing called the 2020 vision. And it was uh, given out to our uh, uh General Minister and President at the time, um, the Reverend Dr. Dick Ham, uh, kind of wrote out, laid out this roadmap on how we would start um, and revitalize um, a thousand new congregations to start a thousand new congregations and to revitalize a thousand new congregations, all the while being uh, anti-racist, pro-reconciling, and you know, tr- uh, focusing on leadership development. And from 2001 to 2020. That was our whole goal was to start a new uh, thousand new congregations, at least from the new church ministry uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. And we got to that point and um, we were like, well, okay, well, what's next? <laughs> well, and as you know, the pandemic sort of hit us right. uh, un- unexpectedly and, and flipped our world upside down. And um, the approach to ministry has changed drastically mm-hmm. uh, since the pandemic. And um this is where the impetus of Disciples Next come from, because, you know, with the pandemic, we had to think of, okay, what's the next normal? 
you know, we, we had to do during the pandemic, which was the new normal. Mm -hmm. And then now we're in this kind of like frame. I, I wouldn't call it post pandemic because we're not post anything because people are still suffering from COVID, mm -hmm. um, not only getting new cases, but also dealing with long COVID, lots of stuff that, uh, grief on it, you know, right. unattended grief that happened during the time of, of COVID. Right. We're kind of like in this pandemic informed era. Yeah. That's good you way know, to say so it. that's one of the things that we're the disciples next is kind of like framing this up. And it, it's basically it. We're, we're a framework. Disciples next is a framework of this 2020 vision where we're leaning into the, this next new next normal, right? This next normal all the while uh, leaning into our identity of um, being a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world. You know, that, and this is like our identity statement as the disciples of Christ, all the while continuing our mission, which is, you know, to be the good news, to share the good news, witnessing, loving and serving from our doorsteps to the ends of the earth. And so basically that's what it is. So um, not only are we preparing for this next normal phase of our church life, we're also preparing for the next generation, next gen, um, figuring out ways of how can we train up leaders that are the next generation. So um, we have a crisis in our Christendom, in the Christendom, yeah. <laughs> the church world, where we have a clergy shortage, whether we're not training enough uh, clergy, there's plenty of clergy, clergy that are dealing with burnout and things yeah. of that nature. So we need to figure out ways of helping um, people to understand that God does have a calling on their life and that uh, maybe it's not professional, vocational clergy, but mm -hmm. um, there is there is something that that has to be done and that God has called on your life. So that's kind of like basically this framework uh, is that, that idea. And then we have like an approach to starting new congregations. So we're getting away from the church planting language all, all the while in this um, framework um, because uh, the planting language that we see in uh, the church planting industry, it's an industry, yeah. an industrial <laughs> complex. Is. We, we're wanting to lean into our movement making language, the movement language that we have. Uh, you know, we come from a movement mm -hmm. history, the restoration movement yep. or the Stone Campbell movement, however you want to look at it. We want to capitalize on that, on that movement making language. So that's what we're doing. So we're, we're initiating these congregations, initiating movements of wholeness, um, which, you know, people are, you know, they might say, oh, that's semantics, but words have power. And so that's that's what we're doing. That and that's how this uh, that we're doing within this framework is that approach. Yeah, well, let's stay on that for a minute because I think I think that's an important point you make because I can. Well, sometimes I can be like, yeah, that is. I can see sometimes a critique. Oh yeah, that's kind of semantics, but also what you say is true. That words have power. I'm trying to think of an example here in my mind, and nothing's coming immediately but talk about because i'm intrigued by this idea of and i think I, I think i can sense what you're getting at from church planting language to movement language uh, talk about why that language even right there matters yeah so um if you look deep in the history of church planting it actually stems from the plantation language of the colonial times within the united states hmm. So whenever the United States was formed, we, we often see that, you know, there would often be a city center and mm -hmm. a mission built in that little town. So, um, uh, so 
and even when you look at the colonialists, uh, when they when they came to this land, they basically raised the land, got rid of all the natural vegetation, and plotted their land and put in their seeds and planted their crops and said, since I have this now, this is my land. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <clears throat> took away f- from all the indigenous population here. Right. So, and, and when you look at some of the strategies within church planting movements, yeah. um, that, that, that occurs, you know, um, intentional communities in particular, even though there, there, there's good intention behind it, you know, um, moving into a community, helping people around, uh, that sort of thing, but they, they kind of like take over and they want people to kind of be molded into their own, uh, image of God, you right. know, instead of recognizing the image of God within the people that are around them. Yeah, and so I, I'm trying to get away from that. Uh, and I think, you know, within the disciples, we're primed for that because, um, it, you know, in the past, we, when we started new congregations, we taught stuff out of the material of church planting, which there's a lot of great material and, and the, and the stuff works. Mm-hmm. It does work. Um, you know, the, the missional church planting models, uh, the sticky church models, all those different models of church, they work. However, when your leadership is kind of like uh, the the theology behind it kind of doesn't mesh, then then it's clunky at best. And, right. you know, so I'm trying to find something that that really speaks to our uh, leadership, our leaders within our denomination um, to really help them uh, develop thriving communities for longevity, um, you know, not just sustainability, but for longevity through it all. So. That's why we're we're kind of switching the language. We're trying to figure out ways of how to really connect with our leaders because when it connects with our leaders, then it's going to connect to the people that they are that they're ministering to. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm working on working off some of your your resources here for our listeners. I'll try to include this uh, this blog post here in our in our show notes and. The Disciples' Next Sum reading here offers a methodology to train leaders as movement initiators that foster faithful communities, communities that exhibit the marks of faithful church, true community, deep Christian spirituality, and a passion for justice. Do you want to kind of talk through those three uh, those three markers? Yeah, so um, the three markers there are is basically the vision of the Christian church. So if you go on the Christ, uh, disciples.org, um, you can look at the vision statement mm-hmm. and the vision of the Christian church is to be a faithful growing church that demonstrates true community, deep Christian spirituality and a passion for justice. And it goes in deeper. Um, there's a book out there called 2020 vision uh, written by Dick Ham. And um, <clears throat> he really lays out like some of the markers that we have um, that we're looking for. Uh, so, uh, and it's in uh, you know, I'm not like creating something brand new. Mm-hmm. I am just taking what we have said that we want to do uh, and really putting some application process to it. So um, in order for us to do that, we really have to live out the mission of the Christian church, which is to be the good news, to share the good news and to serve uh, and witnessing uh, from our doorsteps to the ends of the earth. And how do we do that? So like the how part is where the disciples next comments part. Mm-hmm. So the processes that we utilize, we, we borrow from 
um, for instance, to be to be the good news, we borrow from the um, contemplative action um, discipline. Mm-hmm. So uh, people like Richard Rohr has written extensively about all this stuff. And so in utilizing my experience as a chaplain, we've created different core competencies within that, you know, area to help people develop these new faith communities that can be the good news. To share the good news, we are utilizing um, the discipline from the prophetic advocacy folks. So, you know, um, to share the good news, a lot of people think of evangelism. Mm -hmm. However, since we want to be uh, the contemplative action piece, we talk about trauma-informed care and trauma-informed ministry. There's a lot of trauma that comes from evangelism that happened to people because of evangelism. And so, but evangelism is super important to share the faith, you know. So how do we utilize the word of God in order to inform ways that we go out there and minister to people? Um, and that's where prophetic advocacy comes into play. It's basically uh, the new evangelism in my my perspective, you know. So because we we are doing what we're doing because we are informed by the scripture of our faith. Mm-hmm. And then finally, there's the, um, to serve from our doorsteps to the ends of the earth. That is coming from our faith-rooted organizing discipline folks, picking out pieces out of there. Uh, Shonda Ja, who's a um, prolific leader in our denomination, mm-hmm. has written extensively on this. Of course, Alexei Salvatierra and Peter Herzl. Uh, Peter Herzl, I, is, I believe, is the Disciples of Christ. I have friends that says, yeah, he is, you know, sort of thing. I have not met him yet. <laughs> I want to. If he's listening, uh, you know, hit me up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we're, we're utilizing those core competencies from there, you know, and, you know, people like, well, what about the prophetic advocacy uh, piece? Where do we get examples from that? William Barber, William, mm-hmm. Reverend Dr. William Barber. Um, he has done immense work with Poor People's Campaign, the Moral Mondays. If you ever go to a, a rally of the Poor People's Campaign, it is church. So, uh, yeah, we have the stuff that's out there. And we have it from our own folks that are within um, our mainline denomination. And a lot of people are thinking, you know, we have to go out and find this program to help us build this church. No, we have the answers. God has given us smart people um, to kind of help us through this whole process. And I'm just here to kind of like uh, bring all the webbing right. together. <laughs> yeah. So I want to ask a couple follow-up questions to that. One is, you know, it. I'm sure it's in here. It's not explicitly uh, named. So it's kind of what I'm curious, like where does like worship prayer, like what we might call, or I might call at least like the traditional aspects of, of church and the gathered community. Where yeah. does that fit in here? Yeah, so um, that can fit into the contemplative action piece, especially with the prayer. Um, the art of gathering is in that. Mm-hmm. Same with prophetic advocacy, gathering together, whether it is to gather for um, marching or to gather and just worship and worship with intention uh, of you know making awareness of a particular thing. You know that 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 can all be together, and each community comes up with their own thing. You know, um, you, we we try to come in uh, in a neighborhood sometimes and say, "Hey, this is what church looks like, and this is what you all need." Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, really listening and having active listening, and and um, you know, deep listening is a is a spiritual act. Yeah, and, and deep listening is an act of love, right? So this is where this contemplative action piece comes into play that we have this um, posture of listening to the folks. And from that, we are motivated because of the scripture 
uh, and gathering together and talking about scripture and having this dialogue where ministry starts to take form and tar- starts to take shape. So this is the idea. And, you know, we can see these movements, um, you know, come about. So for me, you know, I already mentioned poor people's campaign. Mm-hmm. That to me is a, is a spiritual movement. And that, you know, in these rallies, they call them rallies that, that there is church that's happening. Now, I'm just saying that's, that's some, one example, mm-hmm. but you can, there's, there's different models, mental models of these things that can um, play out, but we have to change the paradigm. And the paradigm that we're changing is the way that we are doing church. So, you know, like I said, we had church as an industrial complex as one type of model, yeah. the paradigm. And shifting the paradigm into church as a movement. And, and you know, we've been having this discussion since uh, within the church planting world for ages. You know, right? got to change the paradigm, got to change the paradigm. But we're using the same words and nothing's changing because we're still using the same words. Yeah. So it goes back to your point here that words matter. So, we're, you know, words matter. So let me ask you, let me ask a follow up question, if I may. Um Certainly, you you probably know better than I do, but I've seen examples of, you know, church, I don't know what the word would be, um, church, new church efforts or new ministry efforts, like, you know, we're going to have a CrossFit church, we're going to have, uh, I don't know if this is one, but I'm just going to make it up here, paint and sip church. Um, and so, I guess what I'm curious, like, you can offer some like three, you know, you can have your three broad markers of what, you know, you and the, and the disciples, new church ministers kind of coaching. Like, I guess what I'm curious, like, are there any kind of, this sounds harsh, but like in and outs, like boundaries, maybe is a better word of like, Hey, this is a great, this is a great effort, but it's not really church. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, I do have a lot of, critics on that in particular from the immigrant community uh, or, you know, the minority churches that, uh, so I'm part of La, La Obra Hispana mm-hmm. <laughs> within the disciples. And I've had conversations with uh, our, the minister of La Obra Hispana and um, other members of La Obra Hispana within the disciples. And, you know, and they brought this up and they have valuable uh, input into this, this. So the whole thing with the, prophetic advocacy, the contemplative action piece, and the faith rooted organizing, these are just different methods to approach the overall mission to be the good news, to share the good news, and to serve from our doorsteps to the ends of the earth. So, um, you know, I use the example of the microchurch movement. Mm-hmm. And they have three different things, like they say, the, the, the ecclesial minimum of you to be a church is worship, uh, mm-hmm. I think evangelism, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's something else. Anybody like you can put anything of these pieces into the that framework. So to be the good news, to share the good news, and to serve from our doorsteps to the end of the other could be any of the like any methodology that you want. So, like for instance, to be the good news, if if worship is the thing that is the key thing for your community um, to utilize, to express that, to fulfill that part of the mission of the church, of your church, then great. And if to share the good news, if it is truly evangelism and that you take it evangelism more of a um, incarnational way versus the pulpit pounding way, then great, more power to you. And, you know, if discipleship is to the way that you serve your community, then great. So, um, 
you know, again, this is where the conversation with the community that you're in. So like, let's, I, I helped start a, a Haitian community within Kansas city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was wanting to do the house church thing and right. meet in houses and everything else like that. And, you know, be the cool hit pastor of that. Uh, and they were like, no, that's, that's not church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to adjust, uh, because the community that dictated that, right. you know, um, and so we came together, we had this dialogue, we had this conversation, and this new vision of this community came about and flourished. Um, so they, they meet within a um, an edifice mm-hmm. that we normally call church, mm-hmm. uh, Hillside Christian Church, and they have worship services on Sundays, but they also have prayer services on Saturday. They have um, uh, meal gatherings on Thursdays and things of that nature. So the way that they express themselves as a community of faith is a lot different from what I had in mind of what I'm trying was trying to impose. But if it wasn't for that kind of like dialogue, then then that wouldn't have happened. So I, I suggest to everybody this this is like the framework is just that mm-hmm. the framework. But to have the overall mission of the Christian church kind of like this ideal for what what is it to be for a congregation that it um, recognizes itself as disciples, you know, so. Yeah, we got to give a shout out to a friend at Hillside at Christian Church. Just shout out to Reverend Andy Beck there. Uh, moving on. <laughs> I like your term, ecclesial minimum. minimum. Um, that, that, that points well. So let me ask a follow-up question to that, if I may. And I think... You're welcome to push back here because I can see even before I ask the question how it might work against the ethos of this this movement here or this next program. But is there, like, is it appropriate? And I'm struggling here to how I want to answer, ask the question, but like, is there an ecclesial minimum where the denomination, you know, somebody might say like, hey, this doesn't meet the standards of church. Like, I, I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just throw so, like a wild idea, just just for, you know, just for, just for some, um, what's the word? Um, anyway, um, straw man. You know, like if I was just like, hey, you know, we're gonna have a church that's gonna like go for a run and like, I I don't know, like if if I was gonna like say like we're gonna be a run church, like uh-huh. does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. where do you find uh-huh. that balance of like we want to honor the community? We want to honor the, the the mission of the community and their values, and then also say like, "Hey, we don't." Where does the denomination of the movement say, "Hey, like, we love what you're doing, perhaps, but this may or may not fit within like our kind of broader ethos." Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, just kind of like a polity lesson here yeah. uh, for <laughs> yeah. those that yeah. are listening. Uh, within the disciples of Christ, we're we're not very hierarchical when, in the sense that the general church does not dictate to each region to say, "Hey, these these are what are we're looking for." As this is a congregation, that's not a congregation. Mm-hmm. That is dictated by the region itself. So there are 31 regions within the United States that make up the the church that we call the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. So in each region, they have to kind of like come up with their own kind of like ecclesial minimums. Mm-hmm. And what I'm suggesting with this framework for that is how does it how does it serve to be the good news? Does, is what they're doing uh, is it um, are they um, you know preaching the good news or, or you know sharing the good news and mm-hmm. what they're doing? And are they serving 
uh, and loving and witnessing and serving from the doorsteps to the ends of the earth, you know, are they putting those pieces together uh, within their own mission? Uh, is it fulfilling it? You know, and again, the prophetic advocacy, contemplative action and faith root organizing are just methodologies to approach that. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, it's up to each region to really think about what are the things that they're looking for? Are they looking for a community that worships every Sunday or um, is a, a Saturday night gathering of people coming together with dinner is a worshiping piece for them? Or is it the running piece? Like on a Sunday morning, they all gather. Um, maybe they share a bit of a scripture. Mm-hmm. Maybe a psalm is said, you know, and prayer is shared. And then they go run. Is that Does that check the point off for worship? Um, if they're serving, if they are, you know, volunteering at food kitchens or are they or are they really looking at like um, policy issues for uh, houselessness, mm-hmm. you know, in their city or trying to find affordable housing for those who don't have who are shelter insecure or maybe they're finding food security for children. You know, th- is that putting the piece th- there for um, to serve from our doorstep to the end either. I don't know. Again, that's for each region to kind of come up with that for each particular congregation. Well, Reverend, answer your question? Reverend Dr. Jose Martinez is a- answering this question very well, disciple So, kudos there. <laughs> I love that. Um, let me ask this then, shifting it, and take you off the hot seat here a little bit. Um I was listening to an interview from another mainline uh, source recently, and hopefully, can get hopefully going to try to get this author on the pod. But he talked about voluntary associations. How essentially, since the American Revolution, kind of around that time frame, the American Church has been centered around the idea of a voluntary association, especially when you know we, the nation, um declare our independence from England and that that tax subsidized uh, religion and ministry was no longer a thing. Churches organized around voluntary associations. Now, and I imagine you're paying attention to this too. There's a lot, a lot of emphasis and energy around asset-based community development. And I see a lot of ABCD principles here in what you're, you're talking about here in this framework. So yeah. I'm wondering like, a, and let me make this a two-part question. Like, A, when people say, like, the church is dying, I started interpreting that as, like, the church as a voluntary association is dying. So, like, A, do you agree with that? And then, B, do you think, like, that new kind of social model of how we do church might be ABCD? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I I don't believe the church is dying. I believe the church is transforming. Yeah. Um, when you go to these different uh, movements, like uh, the Occupy movement, mm-hmm. I mean, there was a lot of theological discussion in there. Maybe not in particular Christianity, but there was a lot of this, um, you know, what all the great religions kind of like undertone, you know, uh, caring for the poor, trying to have a mindset of abundance versus scarcity, mm-hmm. you know, things of that nature. And that there's actually a purpose for the church in all this, right. you know, um, to me is that, uh, you know, I look at it from a chaplain's perspective that um, I'm not trying to proselytize all the people in the United States military. Mm-hmm. I just want them to know that as a person of faith, I'm a reminder of the holy, that there is that there is this 
thing that some people believe that there's a greater power outside and that through my expression is through the Christian faith um, that God is with you and that the church, this is what we're here for. We're, we're here to make sure that people understand God is still with them, even though it feels like in this world that God has forsaken us. Mm-hmm. And that's not it. You know, there, there are bad things that happen in this world because of bad people or people acting badly, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, evil exists because um, people have lost the sense of hope and love. Mm-hmm. So we as the church, we are the counter to that. Uh, and, and not to say that um, our brothers and sisters in Judaism or Islam or any of the other great faiths, uh, they, they're they there for a, a, a similar reason. Mm-hmm. But for me, this is what I'm called to. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, me, I'm going to foster these these communities of faith that reflect that. And that's our purpose, you know. So um, church as it was like meeting on a Sunday, Sunday-centric service in this edifice that we call a church building, a cathedral, what have you, that part might be dying, but the church overall is not dying. And um, I think one of your 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 um, guests said before, because the, the church is not dying because th- that's God's work. Mm-hmm. That's God's concern. You know, um, we're just, we're just called to live out our faith authentically. And when we do that, the church, the church lives on, you know, so uh, it might look differently, but it, it still lives on because you can't kill the body of Christ. Right. Well, first of all, thanks for listening, uh, Jose, the previous episodes. Um, last question here before we take a break. Uh, you know, I am, if it hasn't been already clear in this whole podcast that I've been doing, like I am, I am team church, like I'm pro church. So it seems like, um, it seems like we're living in a time where more and more folks are just kind of like stepping away from church, which, you know, maybe just my, my bias as a, as a pastor breaks my heart. Um, you know, I, I'm, as I just said, I'm very much pro church and believe in church, believe in the gathered community. So like from your perspective, like why, why church? Um, I think, I kind of had this conversation in a previous episode with Andrew Root where I kind of make the point, like kind of, we, we talked about like, you know, like why does church matter versus us just going down to volunteer at the local YMCA or nonprofit? Like why does church, why does gathering for these things matter? Yeah. Like I said, there's there's something um, to be said about being the physical representation of the holy um, and like being uh, non-apologetic about it. Mm-hmm. Just saying, you know, we're a Christian community. You don't have to believe in what we believe, but we're here because we love you and that God loves you. Mm-hmm. No matter what you do, right. God loves you, you know, and there's something powerful about that because when people face the the um, the darkness of this world and, and maybe not felt that shred of love, even from their own community that maybe they might've been a part of a quote unquote Christian community that was about guilt and shame, mm-hmm. that if we could be the, the true physical manifest of God's love, uh, you know, um, it will help this world so much, you know, in the, in this chaos that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's why that's important. Uh, it's not to say that the, um, 
the volunteer associations, you know, the, the nonprofits, they don't do that. Right. They, they do in a sense, but like when it's unabashedly Christian or unabashedly saying that we're here because of Jesus Christ, I mean, it takes on a different point and that maybe perhaps there's a person out there who is like on the fence of like had bad experiences with church before. If they can feel that, then they can see, oh, not all churches are like this, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. So we just have to live our, our faith incarnationally in that, in that manner. Um, and, you know, to me, when you have, as a chaplain, when you have that, you can stick it out through all the, all the mess, through all the trauma, mm-hmm. you can stick it out. And it gives you that spiritual resiliency to face those dark times. Well, this is a good conversation. I wish we had more time, but uh, for the sake of for the sake of time, uh, let's take a quick break and come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Reverend Doctor Jose Martinez, and uh, you probably had these questions before, but I can't remember what you answered, and you may change your answer. So, uh, let's start with this. You can take these questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. But if you're Pope for a day, what might you want to do with that day? Yeah. <laughs> Pope for a day. Um, goodness gracious. If I could call on to the other great uh, leaders to have a, just a sit down and talk um, in particular in the Jewish community and the, the Muslim community uh, just to have a gathering together of all these faith leaders to have, like, let's, let's sit down and talk about what is a way for peace, you know? Mm. Um, and we need that right now. Yeah. <laughs> And not forced peace, right. you know, it's like we think of this, well, back in the day it was Pax Romana. Now I call it Pax Americana, where we have this great military strength, you know, and I love our military uh, members. I'm a, I'm a major in the, in the United States Air Force, um, but we cannot force peace on people. So that's what I would try to do, try to figure out some way to have that conversation. That'd be some good work. Uh, a theologian or historical Christian figure you want to meet? Or bring back to life. Yeah, there are actually two <laughs> mm-hmm. that I really want. Um, so the first one's Paul Tillich. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, th- just his way of thinking, uh, uh, philosophy, and theology together uh, to kind of like bring out the sense of 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 God, like what does it mean, you know, sort of thing. And um, he was very influential to Martin Luther King Jr. So there has to be something said about that. Right. <laughs> you know, I think uh, Dr. Martin Luther King wrote his thesis over, over Paul Tillich. Uh, and then also Alfred North Whitehead. Hmm. I love process what? theology. Um, I, I'm almost not there at being a process theologian, but there's a lot of pieces of process theology that I really like. Yeah. Um, because I don't think God can lose. Process theology, there's that aspect that God can lose. To me, God wins. God wins all mm. the time, 100% of the time. You know, that's that's that. So. Yeah. But I, I would really that. like to have a, a conversation with Alfred North Whitehead. Those are some good choices. Um, let's see. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Oh, current time and place. Man. Uh, probably all the violence mm-hmm. <laughs> in our world. Uh, not only just wars, you know, Ukraine, Russia, um, you know, uh, Israel and, and, and Palestine, um, the Gaza Strip and all that, um, but also mass shootings. Yeah. You know, it's crazy what's going on with the gun violence that are just in this nation and, um, and what's, what, what's causing for our young ones, you know, the, 
the amount of despair and hopelessness that they're suffering. You know, I was reading a statistic about, you know, veteran suicide. Um, it's, it's going down, which is great. Mm -hmm. However, the uptick of, you know, um, people who are in between the ages of 12 and 21, um, completing suicide is on the rise and Mm -hmm. surpassing Mm -hmm. the veteran suicide rate. And that to me is distressful. And, um, I want to help change that. And so that's what I do, what I do. Yeah. Um, What do you hope for the future of Christianity? Yeah. So that we can be that physical manifestation of God's love. Um, That is the biggest thing for me. We develop these new communities, whatever they look like. If it's uh, an edifice on Sunday, great. If it's a group of people gathering together around a table, great. If it's a group of people running on the streets, um, you know, with, for peace, then great. You know, uh, we just need to be that, that physical representation of the Holy. Mm -hmm. So we didn't even, we didn't even get to talk about your chaplaincy stuff here. And I, I feel like that's a shame because being experienced in chaplaincy, I appreciate the profound gift that chaplaincy is. So I just, I kind of want to just say like, you know, your point about being the physical manifestation of God's love, like that was one of my favorite things about, I feel like that's the wrong way to say it, but you know what I mean? Like that was the one of the most profound experiences for me as a chaplain is going to a room where someone is coding or experiencing deep trauma, family members, and really again, as the chaplain, not, you can't do, we can't do anything, at least in a hospital setting. Um, Like all I could do was show up, you know, and just, just show up and 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 try to be that, yeah, be that yeah, ministry presence, of presence as we right. call it in the chaplain world, and um, you know that goes for all institutional chaplaincy. Mm-hmm. So whether it's in the military, you know, we're not dealing with a lot of end of life things. We're dealing with in the life things yeah, in the moment. You know, uh, people are experiencing breakups of relationships, having issues with their children, um, suffering from you know depression and. And, you know, all these emotional and mental health issues, you know, being a chaplain, being able to hear what they have to say and just being sitting there and being the ear of God for them, you know, just a representative, you know, it's not to say that we are holy ourselves. It's just of who we represent, you know, and that, again, letting them know that God has not forsaken them, you know, even Mm -hmm. though they might not feel God's love at that moment. Yeah. Same with prison chaplaincy. You know, being in the prisons, I can't imagine. Uh, I have many friends that are prison chaplains, uh, and that goes to other institutions, such as fire police and everything else like that. So it's not always at the end of life of things. For your listeners, chaplaincy is not always about the end of life. Right. It's oftentimes in the moment of life. That's what we're doing. Yeah. So. so let me go backward just for one second. I'm kind of breaking my own rules here, but I just had this thought. When okay. it comes to, I loved your word, ecclesial minimums. Is the ecclesial minimum then? Is it intentionality? Like, is that it? Like, mm. We're intentionally gathering for, because a bunch of people, because we can get together, like I could get together. Actually, no, I couldn't. I don't have that many running friends, right? <laughs> someone could get together a group of people and go run. Someone could happen to mention it. Someone could pray in their, themselves. Someone could say a psalm, perhaps, as they're running. Like, is intentionality, is that it? I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. Yeah. um, I don't think it's just it. You know, intentionality is definitely a key piece, but authenticity is another. Good. Good. So (laughs) um, 
I mean, we could have this conversation. I would yeah. love to have like a, a group of people gather us. And I, I bet they're listening to this and saying, no, you need to say this. You need to say this, you know, that sort of thing. We could have this conversation for years and years and years. This could yeah. be its own seminary course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I think authenticity is also part of the intentionality. That's good. Well, we got to run here. Um, Jose is, you're having a workshop, is it here? No, it, it won't make it. This episode, I don't think will make it out. Yeah. It's a webinar. Webinar. Is it December 6th? Yes. So this episode may or may not release until then. So Jose, are you going to record it? Will there be a recording available? Yes. If you go to newchurchministry.org, you will find um, the New Church Impact episodes. Okay. Um, that's our webinar series. It used to be called New Church Hacks. Mm-hmm. Um, with the the topics that we discussed, we, we changed it to Mission Impact or New Church Impact. So um, yeah, so you can find it on newchurchministry.org. Okay, we'll have to make sure I follow up with you so we can get a link in the show notes uh, for the next, the New Church Ministry next webinar. All right. Thank you. How, how can people uh, connect with you if they're like, hey, like I want to do this? Yeah. Yeah. So um, best way is to go on our website, newchurchministry.org. You will find my email address on there, jmartinez at newchurchministry.org. Or you can contact any of the staff there. Um, Wesley King, who the Reverend Wesley King uh, is our new church uh, coordinator. And then the associate minister is Dr. Joy Robinson. Um, contact any of us. We'll get right back to you on that. Um, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on X, even though we're kind of <laughs> cutting X right now, uh, <laughs> yeah. but you just type in new church ministry and we'll pop right up on those social media platforms. And, uh, you'll see a lot of videos or reels on our Instagram account. So, uh, please, uh, subscribe and follow us. And, uh, yeah. Are you on threads? Thre- yes. Threads and and uh, YouTube. <laughs> we're lo- yeah, it's too many almost these days. Yeah, yeah. We're we're not on TikTok yet, even though I'm trying to push our, our team there. But, uh, you know, even though I'm the Minister of New Church Strategies, it's a team effort. So. Right. <laughs> I'm outloaded. Well, thanks so much for your time. I always leave folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace be with you. And also with you. Thank you very much, Lauren. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romiglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. <laughs>